Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm joined today by Natalie Calvert. And rather than me introduce Natalie Calvert, Natalie's here. I'm going to ask Natalie, introduce yourself, Natalie. Tell us a bit about who you are and where you, what your background in the industry is. Hi, Sean. Nice to see you. Nice to be here today and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I've been in the customer experience contact center industry for oh, over 30 years now all the way through from getting involved right at the very beginning, being on the phone, through to managing my own team, leading a much larger team, both an outsourced team and an in-house operation. And then having developed one or two new operations, I then decided to set up on my own. And I've done that for a number of years now, consulting. I've worked with over 100 organizations now across the globe, and many household names, but, but generally large corporates but also some medium-sized businesses, both in the private and public sector. So what I do now is I work with key clients that are looking to really, I help them improve what they're doing around customer and employee experience. So that's through CXEX coaching, and that's through running my masterclasses, and also doing a lot of different kind of thought leadership type events with different organizations and key speaking. Key speaking. So that's, that's what I'm up to these days. And it's good fun. It's, I've got a, one of those portfolio careers that they all talk about that actually is really rewarding and really good to work with organizations. Yeah. I mean, having read a bit of your bio and your background, I know that you've been an advisory board member, for example, at the Lloyds British Bank Business Excellence Awards. You've been involved in so many different things that are so critical and central to the industry. So I'm really looking forward to digging into this conversation with you today. I think it's going to be really interesting to get your thoughts and insights. So I'm going to kick off by asking you to just tell me about, you mentioned about customer experience and the user experience in the, in the contact center. As a customer, tell me about the best customer experience you've ever had and specifically why you rank that as number one. Okay, that's a really tough one, isn't it? The best customer experience I've ever had. I mean, it, I could talk about what I had yesterday, but at the same hand, I could actually tell you about a really rubbish one I had yesterday. I think for me, when I think about that, just... Sitting back for a second, the best customer experience for me is about consistency. It's about knowing that no matter what happens, you're kind of there for me and that I really trust you to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and another thing that I've been really working with quite a lot recently, which is quite interesting, which is about being kind. Okay. So if you're consistently there for me, I can trust you, right? You do the right thing for me and you're very kind, then I've had a great customer experience. And when I think about the two organizations that deliver that for me, and, and believe me, I deal with a plethora of organizations, not just at work, but also my personal life, my home life, my life. There's only two, and those two, the household names, one is Apple and the other is Amazon. And if I was going to rank one above the other, I would have to put Amazon at the forefront, really, in terms of what's happening. Jeff Bezos set out to be the most customer-centric organization on the planet. And I think he's done a superb job. I really do. So that, for me, that consistency, they are always there for me. I trust them. 
right? It's even if I'm wrong, I still trust them. They still do the right thing by me because they know I'm a loyal customer, right? So even if it, that's how well they work it brilliantly, and they've always been kind to me, and that stands a lot instead for me. So that would be my answer to you. What do you think? What's your thoughts? No, I completely agree. I mean, as soon as you said those two companies, as soon as you said that there were two companies, those were the two that immediately came to my head. And I think it's interesting when you, and this is actually a really good opportunity to dig into this a little bit, because when you talk about Amazon and you talk about the customer experience, everyone, vast majority of people are very satisfied with their experience there. By contrast, when you think about the employee experience at Amazon through the lens of various news stories and everything like that, actually, there's clearly room for improvement there. And I think my how to frame this in the right way. So businesses are kind of expected to des- deliver exceptional customer experience and exceptional employee experience. Now, we've just both agreed that Amazon is up there from a customer experience point of view. So my question would be, what approach can businesses adopt to align that customer experience while still delivering the employee experience? How do you balance these two, what can be from an outsider looking in, competing needs? Okay, I don't come from a point of view that they compete, right? So I think the question I really, it's a superb question, but I don't think they compete. I think any organization in today's world that is prudent and smart It's about putting the customer first, right? So it's about CX plus EX rather than EX plus CX. Gosh, that sounded like a tongue twister. But it's about customer experience first, then employee experience, okay? And I know from my experience that when we get the customer experience right, employee experience follows along those lines. And and what you'll note through a lot of the information I read about Amazon, which is worth highlighting, It's a lot of the people that I hear the feedback on, there's a lot of issues around pay, et cetera, but are not necessarily customer-facing roles, okay? Where I hear very positive things around what they're doing is where they've got customer-facing roles and they've managed to bring the employee experience so that employees really understand what customer obsession means. Now, maybe there's work to do with the back office people in that organization that needs to kind of drive that message. That kind of stands out loud and clear, doesn't it? But actually, it's not a competition. It's about saying, if my employees really understand my organization, they really understand my customers. So the purpose of employees is about delivering for our customers, not just delivering for the organization in the bottom line. And those organizations that get that, they are more profitable. There's lots of stats out there, but generally speaking, they're at least 20% more profitable than those that aren't customer-centric. Yep. And you've got the converse of that at the moment. I mean, I'm going off topic here a bit, but you've got a lot of organizations doing employee engagement programs, and they're getting employees really engaged. Employees are really happy for a while, but they haven't got the central purpose right, because the purpose is about the one consistency, which has to be around customers, right? Because without customers, you're not in business. No matter what business you're in, customers are at the heart of that. So I believe that an employee engagement program to be successful has to line up employees to really deliver for the customer. And that that's where the magic is. I would agree. I'm going to jump forward a little bit to something I was going to touch on in a little while. Um, I'm going to give you a Steve Jobs quote, and that's, you've got to start with the customer experience and work back. So... I think first things first, given what you've just said, I'd, I'd 
the question was originally, what do you make of that quote? But I'm going to assume that aligns quite well with your own thoughts on it. But I suppose off the back of that, um, given that that's come from the founder of Apple, and we've spoken about that as well, do any similar kind of quotes speak to your inner CX expert? And are there any quotes that have always spoken to your inner EX expert? There's one quote, okay? It, and it comes from a project I was working on. It was about three or four years ago now, and we were doing a focus group, and we had a whole cross-section of employees there, and that we were all talking about what's the customer experience, what's the purpose. We were having one of these really good kind of focus group conversations, and this woman sat back in a chair and folded her arms. We've all deal with it, don't we? And we know what's going to come next. And she said to me, I won't give her an accent. I was about to do that. That would be politically wrong, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's the wrong PC. But she said, you know what, Natalie? She said, I'm going to, she said, I'm summing up what you're saying to me. She said, what you're saying to me is I've got to treat my customers like I treat my friends and my family, right? Her name was Sandra and she sat there and said it. And you know what? It was one of those light bulb moments, right? It was that she was stating the obvious that everybody in the room understood. If they treat their customers as if they were their friends and family, then actually it would all work well. Okay. And when you think about that, that's really at the heart of what I think we're doing as customer experience professionals is getting our employees and our staff to treat our customers as if they were friends and family. Because I, I would trust them, I would be kind to them, I would be consistent, and I'm always there for them, right? So all of that is about friends and family. And I think that's at the heart of what we're doing. So my famous quote comes from Sandra, our focus group. And since that time, I've, I really, you, sometimes you hear something and you just take it on board and I'll credit her with it totally, but that's been my mantra. And now when I run a program, I will often, my last slide, will my, you know, that final thought, that final message yeah, is treat your customers as if they were your friends and family. And I think if we do the same with that as in, with employees and take it to the next level, then we really start to move forward. One of the things I really like about that is that it's not a quote from someone who's famous in business. It's actually an experiential quote. And actually that hits very hard. And as soon as you said that, I was like, ah, yes, I totally understand exactly what you mean. If I could iterate on that, perhaps, or maybe ask a secondary question, would it be fair to say that the same quote could be applied to your employees as well? Oh, absolutely. The challenge you've got is our friends in HR coming along and saying there's a line. And there is a line, okay? So friends and family and familiarity can be a problem in the workplace. But if you take that central message of looking after people, so we look after our employees, we've got huge issues at the moment as a country around mental health, right? But if you say that the last, literally was in the last week or so, the latest stats are about 20% of people have got mental health issues. So that's one in five. As contact centre professionals, we have got a huge number, over a million employees, right? So just think about that for a second. We've got about 200,000 people suffering with mental health issues working in our contact centers across this country. Yeah. So I, as a leader, have to be really aware of that, of how I'm looking after, how I'm treating people, and also how I'm giving them the space to develop and deal with themselves. Okay. So my role has shifted as a result of that. And this is all part of the post-COVID pandemic fallout, isn't it? But really and truthfully, so I've got to come back to this central point treat my employees as if I was looking after them as if they were my friends and family. But you know what? Know there's a line. And above everything, just be kind to them. 
give people a bit of space. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I spent, I've done my time on the front lines in a contact center and that was a long time ago for me now. And even then the frequency of mental health issues in the contact center then was more than I'd seen in other previous roles in different industries. So I completely agree and, and understand where you're coming from there. But Sean, let's join up some dots on that because I think that's, it is a key point, right? So if we say that, if because we, we were talking about complaints, right? So 65% of complaints are caused through the employee, right? In one shape or another, whether it's attitude, behavior, rudeness, all of those things, 65% of complaints. Take that as the first step. Next step is that we have only got a third of our staff trained to deal with complexity and frustrated, angry customers, right? Now, SOD's law, that means 66% of our staff haven't got the skills to deal with it. So I've got 65% of my complaints are because staff are being rude. And I've got roughly 65% of my staff not trained to deal with customers, right? There is a message there, isn't there, right? That we could knock a lot of these complaints on the head by getting our, giving our staff the skills. But I think the powerful piece is, if we do that, by giving people the skills and the control to self-manage and look after their customers well, right? We give them the empowerment, the confidence. We also get rid of their stress, right? So we've got, not. I'm not talking glibly happier employees. I'm talking about less stressed employees, less employees taking it, going home and taking it home into their home, into the house or coming out of their kitchen to the main living area, right? So it, this is really fundamental, isn't it? Because most employees get stressed because they're dealing with customers. If, but why are they getting stressed? They don't understand how to turn it around and turn the customer from the negative to the positive, from the detractor into the, you know, how do you move from A to B? And if we give them the skills, we show them how to do it, make them feel proud, make them feel gifted about it, become masters at it, become experts, the, the whole world will be a happier place. I mean, yeah. We've got 200,000 people with this issue that we could be giving them some real tangible, how do you sort this out support? I completely agree. I think, again, without, I don't want to cast aspersions and I don't want to say anything overly negative, but again, thinking about my entire career within the contact center industry, there's certainly been times and experiences through my own experience and through the experience of others that I've spoken to, whereby that upskilling that sharing of that skill level, that acknowledgement of that requirement and the value in that requirement hasn't been there. And I think it's worth just touching on the management side of things here as well. You've described management styles as a point of intersection between customer experience and the employee experience. So I guess if we're talking about upskilling staff and recognizing that that's a need within the contact center, how do you ensure that you have the right management in place? And what are the behaviors that you're looking for that best demonstrate that, yes, these are the right people to be involved in that upskilling process? Well, that's the $6 million question, isn't it? Because I meet some great people and they're, they're doing their jobs, but actually the key thing they're supposed to do, they're not necessarily equipped to do. So you've got two things there. One is capability and one is competency to be able to do it, right? So we've got to do the assessments for our leaders, et cetera. But really what we've got to have is an ongoing program, isn't it? Of education, of development. But at the heart of it is ensuring that our leaders are strong enough to be able to be bold enough to go out to the business to make change happen and make change happen well for the contact center, okay? Because most of the challenges that we face is because other departments 
So whether it's IT implementing a transformation, whether it's marketing running a new campaign, whether it's the accountants coming in and cost cutting and saying we need to save all these heads because we can't afford it, the head of that contact center, the head of customer experience has to be able to champion customer experience, but also for the benefit of their staff. And they really are generally between a rock and a hard place. Most customer experience people don't have a seat at the board table today as much as we like to talk about it. Some do, but a lot don't, right? And so this key leader has to be able to, yes, bring together customer experience and employee experience. But the key thing is to be able to have an outward focus in their business, to be able to champion and show from a business perspective, a business perspective to have the right conversations with the head of IT, the head of finance and the head of marketing to be able to say, this is what we need from you. And this is how I want it done. Because I'm seeing a lot of customer experience heads where they are being pulled in all directions and trying to be masters to everybody. And actually where they need to be masterful is with their teams, which are often the greater number of staff employed as well as with the customers. So I think we need bold, courageous leadership that has the strengths and around them, they have the skills, the strategy, the planning and the tools that they need to deliver and develop customer experience. I think also I'm just going to add to that a little bit because you talked right at the beginning here about how the model has shifted how the model has changed. And there's a lot of leaders out there that come from what I would call the, the factory model, a command and control, efficiency, effectiveness, productivity, get the numbers through, right? The world's moved on from that. And that's all about experience, right? But it's moved on even another stage. And you're going to ask me that question in a while, what stage has it moved to, right? But we changed. So you, you've got a leader that's trying to run it still as a factory. That's imploding. It's imploding for the staff and for the customer. I would ask, for the business as well. So leaders have to make sure that they've adapted and they understand not just the words, but what does it mean to be customer-centric? How do I bring together customer centricity into my team? How do I change my team from where it's currently facing around efficiency into experience? And they are key things that need to happen. And it's the smart customer leaders that really win. So let's, should I go on and answer that bit of the question or do you want to come on and ask me something else? No, 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 that's fine. I think this is a really good opportunity because, so I'm going to lean into this a little bit then. So in your book, Handbook of Call and Contact Center Management, you wrote about what I think of as the eras of the contact center landscape. We had the cost call center, the profit call center, and then we had the customer experience center. Now, forgive me, but this was written some time ago and I would ask, are we still in that space? We still talk about customer experience now, or have we entered a fourth, or has there been a fourth era in the intermediary time? Are we now in a fifth era? Like, where are we now? Okay, so I think we are in a new era, okay? But the thing with these eras is they go on top of one another. They're kind of stacked. They're not, we looked at cost and dropped it and went into profit. Whereas we went into profit, we still looked after cost. And as we went into experience, we still had to look after cost, profit, and now we've got a layer of experience on top. So what's the next layer of this cake, right? And it's not a layer for having a layer for the sake of it. Because when you step back for a second and, and we all think about it, we're in the fourth industrial revolution, right? So we've got interconnectivity going on. We've got virtual worlds happening. The world is changing. Customers have become more demanding. They want it faster. They want it better all the time. And, then, you know, there's lots of talk about that. But where's this all taking us to, right? And I think the one word that sums it up for me and says this is what the new era is about is a very singular word. And it applies, this is the interesting piece, it applies to both the customer and the employees, okay? Both the customer and the employees. 
So where we're headed to, where we, some organizations have started to, is very simply into community. So how do we build communities, right? There's lots of psychological reasons behind that. In the workplace, you go back and you look at the kind of the breakdowns of the family environment. You look at all of the changes where the place of work has become the family. We talked about friends and family a minute ago, but it has. And actually, it's about how do we build community? How do we build community for our employees? And how do we build community for our customers? So we're seeing some of the emergence of where organizations are doing that from a marketing demographic point of view. And they've got, I think one of the great organizations that looks at doing it is around pets. So they can build communities around different dogs, cats, amphibians. It's so much easier, isn't it? Because you can really feel it if you've got a, a pets organization, right? So I've got to build community amongst my customers, depending on my, my product and how do I do that? but also against in my contact centers. But the thing in my contact center that I must not drive, which I think is one of the biggest challenges if you're going to build community, right, is I'm not going to build the barriers around age, okay? Because I've already got that problem, haven't I? I've got intergenerational working that for some organizations, we can do that really well. And there are things that we need to put in place to make that work well. But in other organizations, we've got lots of different camps, right? We've got the newly employed out of just out of university. We've got the yeah, all the different generations sitting there. So I've got to be able to build community in an intergenerational, cross-generational way, okay? So how do I do that? What have I got to do to make that happen? So think about what we were saying earlier around customer, okay? So I'm thinking to myself, so what are the communities that we could work with that are outside of my contact center potentially, but they are communities that are within the wider community? So I think one of the greatest ways that we do that is through working for charities, working and volunteering groups and actually providing teams of our contact center staff time to do things that will benefit our wider community. Now, you might think I've now lost the plot and gone into one. I promise you I haven't. I've seen it work really effectively. And one of the things that really, when we do it well, that really works is that often in our contact center, we have mother, grandmother, son. We have the three generations sitting there, right? But what do we all have as human beings? We all have challenges in our lives, don't we? We all know someone that's not well, needs extra help, all of the additional services. So if we can get groups of people together to focus and to do some great work in our local community, find the local, what was it, with one client, riding for the disabled, right? So team of people go out to riding for the disabled, all wearing their company T-shirt and go and paint the walls in the back of the riding stables because they're all overgrown, all pretty grotty, because that's what horse is all about, and shines up the whole place, have a great day out, yeah, do some really good work in the local community, and boom, that's across the whole contact centre, isn't it? It's a great communication, it's a great photo opportunity, internal newsletter, raising the profile, and making people feel part of a community that's doing something for the greater good, not just for themselves. And I think we've got to look wider and better at things like that. I would agree. I would agree. And it certainly feeds into the doing something like that where there's a benefit to beyond the walls of the contact center is critically important. I would certainly agree yeah. there. I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you on this a little bit, though. I'm going to do it in a two double barrel question. So Ooh, I know that you've been working on a white paper, which is the hybrid working standards for hybrid customer service. So first part is tell me a little bit about that. But then I'm going to switch it up a little bit and just ask, how on earth do you achieve what we've been talking about in terms of community 
both from a customer, but more so from an employee point of view, in a hybridized environment or where you've got a multi-channel environment? So th- those are my two questions. and I suspect they'll feed into each other. Right. So most people that know me know that I've been involved in hybrid working right from the years ago. And obviously it kind of all came to the fore over COVID and got a lot involved there working with different teams over the two year period. And what was really clear to me is that in order for hybrid working to work, organizations need to have very clear standards that are very well articulated, very well understood. And what's happened is, is that people went into COVID in a firefighting mode And many organizations are still firefighting. They haven't changed the model to say, this is BAU, this is business as usual, this is how we're going to operate, okay? And it's time, over the last six months, I would have thought I'd have seen more of it, but what people seem to be doing is really rooting in the firefighting mode that really isn't working for them. So it's about get the right model in place, right? But behind it and underpinning it are standards. What do you do about environment? What do you do about risk assessment? How do people work from home? What are the procedures around HR? There's about 10 different areas the standards that will actually cover from leadership all the way through to issues like environment and risk, okay? So that's what it's about. Just to give people a start point that says this is a bit of a blueprint to look at, okay? I also, I did a 36-point checklist right at the beginning of COVID, which is, I'm going to do the American plug, aren't I? You can get it on my website or you can get it on my LinkedIn feed, whichever you like. That was an, an accent, not for any Americans to apologize, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Maybe we have, you have to cut that bit from the recording that we're doing, Sean. But the other side of it is around the second question was, what's the second question? How do you bridge the gap with the community? Yeah, the second point was we talked about community and the importance of community within an employee work group within a contact center, intergenerational, cross-generational, going out and doing something in the community, but also simply being part and feeling that sense of community. How do you establish that or what things can you do to establish that when you've got a hybridized workforce? Right, Sean, beautiful question, right? Beautiful question. I think there's two very clear answers to it, right? In fact, I'll give you the one answer. And the answer is you bring the customer in, right? So bear in mind, if I'm in an office, I've got to bring the customer into an office. It's so much easier to do. So how do I get the customer centricity into my staff working at home? Okay, because if I'm going to be a customer centric organization, think about it. I've got my friend, my my friends and family employees working in front of a screen all day long, looking at processes, filling out forms and looking at everything basically from a PC world. But they're not looking at the customer anymore, are they? So how I've brought customer centricity into my workplace, if I have at all, I've now got to innovate. And how do I bring customer centricity into my work environment when I'm at home? Okay. So let me just pick up a really simple thing that will work, change it around, right? Let's pick up something like team huddles, okay? So team huddles over people working from home have just fallen apart, okay? Some organizations are doing it, and they're lots of struggling with the how do I get people to turn a camera on, basic point one, through to how do I make it engaging, enlivening, and everything else, right? So how do I run a successful team huddle? How do I bring customer centricity into my team huddles to make that a real focus rather than having the old command and control team huddle, which was, let's look at performance. We're not doing this. We're not doing this, right? You need to do this better, this better, this better. See you next week, right? I've got to make my huddles customer-centric. I've got to be talking customer stories. I've got to be talking about customer compliments, customer complaints if I need to, right? And some of the things that we need to enhance and what they're going to do for the customer. 
So I need the people running my huddles to make sure that the language, the, the aids, the boards, whatever they're using, are very much customer-centric, not numbers, productivity, efficiency-centric, right? So I've got to really think about one of the key tools that I now have in a hybrid world. How am I using that to bring my employees to line up to deliver around the customer? Okay. And I've got to do that day in, day out. That's the start point. So I'm redesigning how the leader works, right? I'm redesigning how the leader is functioning and what they're saying virtually every day of the week now, because the leader's role is to make sure what they're doing is bringing the customer to the employee who's now at home. That's a really, really interesting way to frame that. I And it is one that I hadn't considered previously. And I think that that's kind of at the root of one of my last questions, because I'm conscious of time, unfortunately. And it, I'll just lead straight into that because it, it feeds into it. So you've written quite extensively on customer service. How have the traditional roles of customer service agents been redefined over time? We've just been talking about bringing the customer to the employee. And has that accelerated or even kind of decelerated in this post-pandemic firefighting world that we seem to be in at the moment? So the role of the frontline person, the frontline employee, has just shifted again, hasn't it, under all of this? So, you know, I think everyone knows now, everything in the world is more complex. We know digital is taking away all the transactional work. Thank goodness. That leaves me with my staff dealing with relationships, complexity, high emotive type conversations, right? In an omni-channel world, and I'm doing that over the phone, I'm doing it online, I'm doing it through the web, right? So I'm doing it in a multi-number of channels. That is a distinctly different skill set to what perhaps many people were doing only 18 months ago, even six months ago. So I have to really make sure that I deliver that for my staff in terms of skills, in terms of tools and tech. Yeah. But what sits over that is let's build a community to deliver that. Let's get our staff really engaged in building the future world of work. Well, let's understand what that advisor of the future is all about so that we can actually make sure we build it with them in mind and them at the heart of what we're doing, as long as it's customer led that we don't end up crawling up into our own internal workings again and being all about us, because that's not going to work. It's got to be customer-driven. So future is about, what is it? We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about customer more, we're going to talk about community more, and we're going to talk more and more about hybrid. And those three things will be at the center of what a leader's doing. And all the other things about running the engine room, they still need to take place too. So this is, again, layered on top of what was going on before. And running the engine room, I now need to make sure I've got the right people in place with the right skills, the right tech to deliver consistently for my customers so that my staff can be kind. I think it's as simple as that. Yes. I think one of the things that's always stuck out to me just in the last couple of minutes is that we've accepted that our frontline support staff are dealing with more complex issues. Have we done the necessary diligence around the, yeah, we've taken away the transactional stuff, which are all of the shorter calls and interactions. Have we actually looked at things like the average handle time requirements that we've got for these people? If that has naturally evolved to become much more of a, these are more complex calls because you're not doing the transactionals, by design, that means your AHT is going to be greater. Therefore, we can't still be hammering to keep the AHT down because it's the nature of the conversations is fundamentally changed. Wouldn't we know when we've got there when we don't even have to think about AHT? Very much so. Absolutely. But it's, it is about the conversation. Yes, 
Absolutely. I think the, so the last question that I've got an opportunity for before we close up then is who in the contact center industry would you most like to take to lunch? My answer has got to be Jeff Bezos, hasn't it? I started with Amazon. I'm going to finish with Amazon. Whether he would turn around and say he was a player in the contact center industry, perhaps not. But actually, he is a massive player and I think a great role model and benchmark for many. So it would be Jeff Bezos. And what I would do with Jeff Bezos, I'd have two other people at the table. One would be Tim Cook, so we could have a really good debate. And the other one would be a couple of employees and a couple of customers as well. So I've got dinner for six, haven't I? Oh, me too, seven. That would be awesome. That would be wonderful. <laughs> So that's what I would do. I would very much want to be a fly on the wall there. I would do that definitely. Thank you, Sean. No worries. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.